From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. In the gun rights community, we tend to focus on, well, guns. We especially focus on rights related to owning and carrying guns. That's where the political fight has been for decades. But I believe this is just one front in a much larger war. And that's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by Brian Lynn, Vice President of Marketing and Communications with Sportsman's Alliance. There's a saying among political pundits, culture is upstream of politics. What that means is that without broad cultural support for key ideas, you cannot win elections and cannot pass legislation. We see what happens in countries such as England and Australia, where there are gun owners, but not a long-standing culture of guns and personal liberty. Bad laws get passed. Rights are lost. Gun owners and sportsmen become marginalized and stigmatized. Here in the U.S., we are lucky. Guns have been a part of our culture since the beginning. People not only own guns for personal protection, they have them for hunting, competition, recreation, and we have a robust industry serving this market. We have retail stores, ranges, instruction, and more. So we're really not in a war just about guns. We're in a war about our culture. Because if we lose our culture, we lose our rights. And that is why I've invited you on the show, Brian, We talk a lot about guns on this show, but I wanted to talk about sportsman issues with you because I think that's a central part of this culture war we're in. There are millions of people who shoot, hunt, fish, trap, and enjoy the wild outdoors. So I wanted to talk to you about the world of sportsmen and the challenges facing sportsmen today. Brian, just sort of in general, what's going on in the sportsman world right now? Well, much like the gun world, uh, you know, we're under constant attack. Every every legislative session, we're facing new bills that seek to cut away at sportsmen's rights, take seasons away, change limits, whatever they can do, ban ban things outright. And so, you know, really, we're we're all part of the same fight here, and and we face legislative battles. We're facing ballot initiatives you know, in different states, and we're in court cases, you know, fighting for our rights and fighting fighting to maintain our culture and way of life. So I understand there's a ballot initiative out in Oregon that actually is a ban, and this is not focused on one specific issue. It's basically trying to ban everything. So they're, they're wanting to ban hunting, they're wanting to ban fishing. They're wanting to ban trapping just across the board. No killing of animals. Can you explain that? I mean, what are they trying to accomplish out there? Uh, that 
what's going on in Oregon is the vegan utopia. Like this is their ultimate goal. If they could have their dream, this is it. No animal in the state would be allowed to be killed. Hunting, fishing, trapping, you couldn't slaughter livestock. You couldn't kill a mouse in your house. You know, uh, if you breed your dog or your cat or your horse or whatever, you would be found guilty or could face charges anyways of sexual abuse of an animal. If you kill anything in the presence of a minor, you could, those misdemeanors and gross misdemeanors could jump up to felony penalties. Nothing could be killed. You can still eat meat. It just has to die of natural causes of old age. So roadkill. Well, I mean, that's not natural. I mean, so someone yeah. had to kill it with their car. What, what is that then? Is that, uh, is that highway yeah, homicide or what is that? <laughs> Something that'd be a gray area to iron out, you know? And so this is their ultimate goal. And in a lot of States and most everywhere, it'd be laughable. And it'd even be laughable right now, except for Portland, Oregon. It prides itself on being weird. It's the center of the counterculture Homeless people have been going there, teenagers. It's been a mecca for homeless teenagers for decades for some reason. And they pride themselves on being weird. They have 2.4 million people in Portland, Oregon. The entire state has 4 million people. So just that one city has more, more people than the rest of the state combined, which the rest of the state is very rural, very conservative, logging, hunting, fishing, everything else. So, you know, it, it would be laughable if it wasn't for Oregon and the fact that they aren't using paid signature gatherers right now because it's in the signature gathering phase um, until next July to qualify. Without using paid signature gatherers, they don't have to divulge how many signatures they have. So July could come and they turn in all their signatures and they're verified and that's on the November ballot. So, so, th- so this is quick. Right. So this is not... Generally, what we're talking about here in Ohio is the regular legislative process. You know, somebody introduces a bill, it goes through the House, it goes through the Senate. This is a ballot initiative. So basically, they're trying to get people to vote on it, and then it becomes law. Yes. Yeah, they they like to go to the popular vote instead of, you know, having political pressure that can be applied. They go straight to a popular vote with an emotional message, and they've been very successful with it out here in the West. Uh, in Washington state, they've taken away hunt, they've taken away uh, trapping, baiting, and the use of hounds for bears and mountain lions. They've done the same in Oregon to a large extent already. So instead of having where it goes through the both chambers and is signed by a governor, it goes straight to a popular vote and they have great messaging, right? Like they can use any emotional messaging, put little puppies up or kittens or wolf pups whatever they want to do. And then all of a sudden we're faced with trying to explain this long story of why we have to kill something. And that doesn't resound well with the audience very often. And so it's a, it's a way around that they have been very effective with from the animal side of things, as well as the gun side of things here, you know, along the West coast, especially. What about eggs? I mean, what if I want, you know, some scrambled eggs, can you can you have eggs from chickens? Uh, that would be a uh, yeah. I guess that would get into when does life start <laughs> argument That's, in the courts oh after God. that. <laughs> so basically, yeah. basically out there, you, they want everyone to live on bean sprouts and tofu. Pretty much, pretty much. Which you know, yeah, I hate to tell them that. Hey, 
to grow bean sprouts and tofu, we have to shoot deer and elk because they also like to eat it. Well, I mean, I, I like Portland. Uh, it's it's a cool, weird kind of place, but it is a very weird place, and they have a lot of weird ideas out there. What sort of tactics are they using? Is are, are they communicating a lot with the public, or does the public just already kind of buy into this? Well, for the for this particular ballot initiative, uh, they're in the signature gathering phase, so they're sitting outside Safeways or going door to door and. Uh, the sales pits are using, I don't know. I, I really, I don't know. But typically when we see these things, they're very emotional. It's an emotional appeal that lacks any science, any fact, or any, you know, does not tell the story, the, the backstory of why it is the way it is. It's an emotional appeal of showing puppies, showing kittens, showing whatever, and cruelty and the term trophy hunting is thrown in there. It's almost like assault weapon and throwing trophy hunting in. It's the same thing. It causes a visceral reaction with the ignorant general public. Yeah, I've got this theory in the gun world where gun activists who, who want to you know ban guns, basically, they just think that guns are icky. I mean, there are a lot of arguments that they can make, but I think it just boils down to that. You know, guns are icky. It's really low class. It's it's not something we want. We don't want anyone to have them. It sounds like the same thing happens with hunting. It's just like, well, hunting is icky. We don't want hunting. So nobody should hunt. The two arguments from both sides are are the same. It's uh they they shadow each other or mirror each other perfectly. You know, it's an emotional appeal lacking any any substance or or facts. You know, and that's what it boils down to. We don't like it. And we don't want you to do it, whether that's shooting or whether that's hunting. So how does this affect conservation and all of that out there? Because there's something called the Pittman-Robertson funds. And if you just ban hunting or any killing of animal, isn't that going to affect funding for all the things that I think a lot of these people would really care about, right? I mean, isn't, isn't this actually going to harm animals? Yeah, in the long run, it does. It, it completely destroys the conservation model here in the United States. The North American model of wildlife conservation has come about over the last 100 years because we almost extirpated all of the animals when we first came to this country. And the model that we have in place has been learn your lessons. Here's how we make this work and add value to wildlife. And so if you start removing seasons, dates, uh, methods of take. If you start removing even the firearm purchases and, and purchases of ammo, you start dismantling this model, which is what funds conservation in America. This is the backbone. Hunting, fishing, trapping, and shooting and boating are the backbone of conservation in North America. Without it, wild places suffer, wild animals suffer, habitat degrades and is lost. And so we have to keep protecting that in order to keep keep funding going. Uh, Pittman-Robertson is on the hunting and, and shooting side. Dingle-Johnson Act is on the boating and fishing side. It's an excise tax on every firearm and every ammo that's sold, as well as some other uh, hunting items and on the fishing side, that stuff. But it's a 10 or an 11% excise tax on firearms, all firearms, AR-15s, handguns, uh, shotguns, any other kind of rifle, all the ammo 
is taxed and that goes back into conservation directly into conservation the other side of it is the selling of licenses and permits hunting permits and hunting licenses in states that's a half a billion dollars right there you know more than that and so altogether Pittman robertson it's over a billion dollars a year i believe that goes into conservation you get rid of hunting and shooting there's a where's the other where's that billion dollars going to come from now yeah well maybe uh the biden administration will make that part of the infrastructure bill maybe i mean because isn't isn't that i mean that's that's a lot more infrastructure than some of the things they're talking about yeah yeah you know and that's every year so between dingle johnson and Pittman robertson and license sales sportsmen contribute almost three billion dollars every year into conservation Without it, you don't have that funding. And not only do you not have that funding, the state has to take care of the excess animals. Here in Washington, we, uh, they, they did away with hound hunting for mountain lions. Now the state has to go out and kill mountain lions to control them. And they have to pay to do it. So the taxpayers are paying the state to go kill mountain lions, which are then just thrown away and wasted. Instead of a sportsman paying 100 bucks for a tag and eating the lion and put it on its wall. It's ridiculous. Yeah, another example of unintended consequences, or in this case, maybe intended consequences. I have a hard time believing that they don't understand this. You know, that, that maybe it's maybe it's on purpose. Yeah, I have a hard time understanding uh, or believing that they don't understand it as well. Part of it, I think, almost boils down to religion. They, they just want this to be, and they think nature will balance itself, which it doesn't. Nature is a series of booms and busts based on habitat and prey species, and it just doesn't work that way. This isn't, this isn't a Disney movie. This is real life, and nature doesn't care. It's very cruel. So, I, yeah, it's, uh, it's hard to believe that they don't know what they're doing, but maybe they don't. I don't know. You know, Brian, one of the things that happens in the gun world, and we've been seeing this for a long time, are these phony gun groups that pop up, and they pretend like they're pro-gun, but they're actually advocating gun control. And of course, they're always, you know, funded from a gun control organization secretly in the background, and and they're just trying to trick gun, gun owners into supporting bad laws. Do you have things like that in the sportsman world where you have, say, you know, a a fake hunting group pop up, but they're really trying to push some of these hunting bans and other regulations that are going to hurt sportsmen? Yeah. Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said you have to look at the where the funding is coming from. That pretty much tells you what you need to know. You know, where where is that funding coming from, whether it's, you know, a very well-off donor or it's a foundation, where else are they giving their money? And what are their political leanings and their intents in other areas that you can see because nobody's giving money to somebody that is going to be in opposition to what they believe. They're not going to give money to both sides to accomplish a goal, uh, a a one-sided goal. Uh, So, you know, a lot of it is, is hard sometimes because whether it's public lands or parks or whatever, it can be couched as conservation or couched as, as, helping the land and helping wild animals and saving them. But you have to really boil down to conservation versus preservation. And that's where a lot of this comes in is 
there's a lot of groups out there that believe in preservation. We're hands off. It's, it's left alone. You can look at it, but don't touch and don't go into it too far. Conservation is wise use. You know, yep, here it is. We use it sustainably. So it lasts for another hundred years and thousand years or whatever. And it, it's being used smartly. You know, so it's, there are groups out there that lean more towards a preservationist mindset and who have backed, you know, questionable things as far as the conservation side of things and who receive funding from bigger foundations that, you know, that don't always align with the conservation and hardcore sportsmen. Yeah, that's interesting that you you bring this up, the difference between conservation and preservation, because conservation has been around for a long time, about human beings using the land, managing wildlife so that we can have that for future generations, that it's sustainable. But then at some point, and I'm not really sure of the history of this, it turned into a more environmentalist kind of approach where it's like human beings are a virus on the planet and, and, and we're not part of nature. And so we should step back and not interfere with it as if, you know, the earth would be a lot better without people. That seems to be the idea. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of that came about in, you know, the sixties and seventies, the environmental movement, uh, you know, the book, uh, monkey wrench gang and the anti-whaling Greenpeace started with anti-whaling and nuclear war stuff. Well, they took care of that, right? Like they, they, they stopped whaling for the most part. Nukes were made safer. They needed something else to do because they were making a ton of money, you know? So a lot of these groups, make a lot of money so they always have to have something to be fighting and this preservationist environmental movement kind of started there in the 60s and 70s and has gotten more and more extreme you know because they need to keep coming up with new boogeyman and bad guys to keep raising money and it is kind of a religious approach right i mean it's oh, yeah. it's not a science based approach i know that I, you know, I don't claim to be a, a sportsman or understand a lot of the science behind this, but I know that when I've been involved with the D- Division of Wildlife, for example, there are a lot of scientists that work for them, and they're constantly analyzing what's going on out there in the environment, you know, what's going on with streams and lakes and, and forests and, and, and just all of that, and it's a very science-based approach. I don't hear that. From the other side, it's let's just all move to Mars, yeah. so that we can so we can save Earth from human beings. Yeah, no, it it is. Uh, there are a lot of religious, you know, anecdotal stuff in there that uh, it just you have to have faith or you have to have some level of belief in order to swallow it, and it just doesn't work. You know, I mean, there's biologists and. I can show you the facts around all the fights we're in. Here's the facts. Here's the standards. Here's how we do this. But they'll bring up pseudoscience and everything else that just muddies the water. And of course, everybody wants to be careful. Everybody wants to be conservative. And, you know, the biologists are conservative in their estimates of game populations, and they're not going to put something in danger. But if you have somebody else that comes in with some type of scientist that says, no, no, here's this and just raises a little doubt. Well, people default to being as conservative as possible to make sure bad things don't happen. Understandable. 
but it boggles the mind and it's, you know, not being truthful. So you're talking about emotional appeals being used. We see that in the gun world all the time, especially when there's a story like an active killer, you know, shoots four, five, six people, and then the very next day there are calls for gun control. And it sounds like the same thing happens with anti-hunting groups. It's all emotional or this quasi-religious approach that it's just icky, it's wrong, let's just chip away wherever we can. No, that's that's exactly right. I mean, they mirror each other perfectly, and a lot of them are all in the same camps. We're fighting on both sides, the gun side and the, and the hunting side. We're fighting a common enemy, you know, and they are the same people, the same funding people, and it it is the same exact battle and the same exact arguments that we're facing and the same tactics, you know, emotional appeals, cities versus, you know, rural areas. It's just, it, it's, it's crazy. It, it's, uh, they're, they're, we need to stick together, both, both of us, all the hunters, and we have our vertical markets in hunting, you know, that often will eschew another one like, oh, okay, well, I'm a bird dog guy. I'm not going to stick up for trapping. We all need to stick together. Hunting sportsmen guys do as well as the shooters, you know. Well, and, and, we, and we see that a lot because, I mean, no offense, but, you know, our hardcore supporters on our side tend to be the ones carrying concealed. I mean, it's a very specific area because that's where the fight has been. And hunters generally just are very difficult to activate. They think, well, I have my rifle, I have my shotgun, they're never going to come after those, so who cares? You know, I've, and they, they just really don't want to be bothered. And that's unfortunate because there are so many of them. And it could be so useful to have them as part of the fight. And then just everyone else that's out there doing other sportsman things. That's all, That's been my thought over the last few years is to try to integrate this a little more and not have all of these different silos because then we're not working together and we don't have the kind of power that we do when we're working together. Yeah. And then they, and then they slowly chip away at it. They take one thing, they take another, and they take a little bit more. And pretty soon the dominoes have started to fall and the public opinion goes behind it. And now you're going to lose everything. So we have to stop it before the, the dominoes start falling. So uh, what else is going on in the sportsman world? I mean, is there anything as, as extreme as this ban out in Portland? Or, or are we seeing things like that, that they're just trying to eradicate big swaths of, uh, of sportsman activity? Yeah, there definitely is. What we've seen for the last session or so, last session or two, has been trying to capitalize on COVID and the states of emergency and using fear of COVID or future pandemics to ban hunting. And they're not banning it right out of the gate. So what they're doing right now, the Center for Biological Diversity and uh, Natural Resources Defense Council, they're asking the Biden administration to end the import of any game or fish, birds, any animals into the country from other countries. They're also asking them to end the transport of any game or parts across state lines. So if you go deer hunting in the next state over, you can't bring the hide and the horns and skull back or even the meat. So it would end non-resident hunting, which is a half a billion dollars a year in license sales alone, you know, for the, for all the states, you know, so that would be 
devastating to non-resident hunting. It'd be devastating to Africa and other countries that depend on sportsmen's dollars to for conservation and the same model that we use to conserve the animals over there, lions, elephants, whatever. So that's just like a carte blanche that would end everything. And they're taking it under advisement. They're looking at it. They might say, nope, nothing. Or they could, under emergency rules of COVID, and the CDC has this power as well, implement parts of it. No, you can't transport deer across state lines because deer have been shown to carry COVID. It's possible. So we don't know at this point. But that's that's a big one is to end the import and transport of animals into the country. They're really trying to go after Africa and people hunting in Africa. And they've been trying that at the state level legislatively for years. And we've been able to stop them. Now they're doing it through petitions. So last year, Rob Sexton and I, and Rob has been involved with Sportsman's Alliance for a long time. We were seeing what was happening with a lot of these emergency orders. And we put our heads together and I said, you know, we, we ought to run a bill. Because if the government can shut everything down like that, and, and we were seeing gun shops shut down, ranges shut down, we were seeing hunting activities shut down that had nothing to do with the virus. Because if you're outside hunting, that's about as socially distanced as you could be, right? Very healthy activity. But a lot of this kind of stuff was shut down in various places. So we had the idea to come up with an emergency powers bill that not only covered things like guns and gun stores and ranges, but also hunting activities, uh, fishing and other things, and and declare those essential activities so that under the guise of of an emergency, they could not be shut down. Yeah, no, that's definitely what's needed. And every state should have it. I live in Washington state. We're still under emergency orders. The governor isn't giving up that power. And they did the same thing out here that they did in a lot of other states was stopping hunting and fishing. But the crazy thing was for the fishing stuff, you could still go out boating. You could still go water skiing. You could still just go drive around. You could walk on the, take a walk on the bank. But if you had a fishing pole in your hand or off the side of your boat, you were breaking the law. Oh no! So wait a minute. What's the justification for that? Yeah, that's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They, 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 their idea was that if you were going hunting and fishing, you had to drive and you would stop at the gas station and you would stop to get something to eat and you could be transmitting the virus. But you could still go out boating. But, I mean, if you're going boating, you're going to do the same thing, right? I mean, are you not eating burgers and drinking Coke and, and traveling? I, that yeah. one I don't get. Yeah, but you need a license to hunt and fish. And you're taking over an action that can then be defined. So somebody can walk up and ask, do you have a license for this? You're engaged in fishing. You're not supposed to be doing this. doesn't work the same for boating or for walking down the bank or sitting on the bank of a lake. Can't completely restrict. So they did as much as they could for as long as they could. Yeah, I don't know. So, but that's a common theme we have seen and probably will see is not just COVID, but the next one, uh, the, the big boogeyman that's coming, right? Like we got to stop the next pandemic. So let's make sure we aren't importing animals from other countries or across state lines. That's, well, that's the logic. Yeah. And so that's, that's why I would, I would call on all hunters and sportsmen out there who think that you don't have common cause with the hardcore gun owners 
on something like this, on this emergency powers bill we have, we need all the sportsmen to support that because it it covers all of our interests across the board to prevent anything like this from happening in Ohio. Now, it did not happen in that way here in Ohio, but, you know, things change. Politics changes. We've seen states go from red to blue. We've seen things uh, change when a governor is elected or, you know, ju- just the politics changes. So you don't know what's going to happen 10 or 15 years from now in Ohio. We could have exactly the same thing. So I, I would encourage if you're a hunter or a sportsman or a gun owner or anyone listening to this podcast, you should really support us in this uh, bill that we're running. And I'm hoping that in a lot of our efforts, Brian, that, you know, we're going to be able to work with Sportsman's Alliance and have other groups supporting things like that. I mean, we I've been trying over the last few years to to have our association, Buckeye Firearms Association, work more closely with Sportsman's Alliance and work with some other groups because of that, uh, for elections, for particular legislation, for things like ranges. Uh, that was one of the reasons I got involved in a lot of that, you know, with uh, buying the AEP lands, uh, getting the funding for these huge upgrades at public shooting ranges, because it's not just gun guys. You know, you know, those ranges, those public ranges were originally built for hunters to sight in their rifles. But we're seeing so many more shooters now. We needed that. So, yeah, it's common cause across all of these groups. We need to work together. We need to stick together. Absolutely. Without a doubt, you know, and thank you for getting involved and thank you for working with the Sportsman's Alliance. I mean, it means a lot and it helps. So thank you. Well, thank you, Brian, for spending some time with us today. I hope you can come back, talk to us again sometime. I hope that we continue to work together. And look, if you're a gun guy, you know, you need to support the sportsman's world. If you're a sportsman guy, support the uh, the gun world. Uh, men and women out there, uh, don't get in your own silos. Uh, we're all in it together. We need to support each other. I would encourage people to uh, you know, get a hunting license, even if you're not going to go hunting, because you're, it's not expensive. You're supporting a lot of good work. Get a, a, a permit for public shooting ranges in Ohio. It's 25 bucks for a full year. I think it's 25, 24, 25 for a full year that you'll pay that to go to a private range one time for an hour. And, and you, can, you can shoot at, at a public range in Ohio all year long on something like that. So, yeah, we really need to stick together. Thanks, Brian. Glad to have you here. Hope to have you back. Thank you very much, Dean. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at buckeyefirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to joinbfa.org. Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's joinbfa.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.